taxidermy is fairly prevalent, at least in American culture. My grandpa has a taxidermy deer butt hanging in his basement from a hunting trip he went on like 30 years ago. And I always loved seeing the taxidermy giraffe at the outdoor store whose neck was wired to move. So they, they pressed a button and it would like move back and forth and like make some kind of noise. Luckily, taxidermy hasn't caught on as a means of human body preservation. We'll be talking about the two most famous examples of human taxidermy attempts and the ethical considerations that go along with it. Welcome to Plot Twist. My name is Morgan, and I once secretly brought deer antlers to school in the eighth grade as a means of rebelling. Like, I thought I was cool shit for bringing in some deer antlers, like, secretively. Like, nobody knew but my best friend. My name is Janelle, and when I was a kid, I used to read my dad's hunting magazines all the time. But when I finally got old enough to get my hunting license... I got too sad about the idea of killing animals to actually get it. And now I'm a vegetarian. (laughs) This is Plot Twist, A Grave Affair. We'll be talking about everything that happens at the funeral home and beyond. This week we're talking about human taxidermy. But first, I want to talk about our trip to Daffodil Hill at Lakeview Cemetery. Ooh, it was so cool. I've heard about it before and I have never been until this year and it was just so beautiful. Yeah every time I talk about Lakeview Cemetery which is like the most phenomenal cemetery in Cleveland and possibly the world. world. That's a little dramatic. I don't know about that. No probably definitely not. Maybe in Ohio though. Maybe in Ohio. Yeah. It's phenomenal and we talk about it on an episode. Mm, Cemetery picnics in like the first season. But everyone, whenever I talk about it, people are like, have you been to Daffodil Hill? But I always forget when the spring comes around and then, you know, it's not Daffodil season anymore. But I had a patient talk about it to me and she was talking about how much she loved it. And I was like, we got to go. So I texted Morgan. I thought that was so funny because you were telling me that your patient was telling you about it. And then somebody I work with who just had a baby was telling me about it because they took their baby there to take little like baby photos in the on the Daffodil Hill. Like, the same time. Yeah, it was, like, the same day, right? Yeah. So, it was meant to be. Um, And we climbed the hill. It was gorgeous. There were so many daffodils. And they had, like, staff out there, I think, or volunteers, um, handing out information, answering questions. And they even had, like, little daffodil cutouts. You could, like, put your face through, take pictures. They were for kids. But um, I did it. (laughs) (laughs) it was cute the pamphlet we got said they had 150,000 daffodil bulbs and Morgan wanted to know (laughs) who counts those yeah who counts those like who is in charge of that or is it like the gumball game where you're supposed to like do the math and like count up the sides of the jar I don't know (laughs) but the hill's not a jar so it feels a little bit more complex what do I know I should have asked them but then I felt embarrassed to ask such a silly question (laughs) but yeah it's beautiful and it wraps around the hill and it just keeps going 
like it it goes along the road and then it goes you know down the other way this is not a good description but and it's and then it also goes the other way right. down that side right. and then like north south east and west it's everywhere well we got lost because we were like walking through the daffodil hill and then we went like over the hill and through the woods and then we were like we don't know how to get back so we tried to follow the flowers back <laughs> And that didn't really work. We were looking from far away, and we were like, there's the yellow. They were dandelions, folks. They were dandelions we were trying to follow. And it smelled amazing. Oh my gosh, yeah, it smelled really good. I thought you were wearing perfume. I was about to compliment you. Oh yeah, you were like, oh, are you sure you're not wearing perfume? Like, yeah. It's It's the flowers. When I was talking to my patient about it, I was like, oh my god, Lakeview Cemetery is my favorite cemetery. And her husband gives me this look. Just, like, very slight, like... Like, girl, why you have a favorite cemetery? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, my patient was, like, totally into it. All right, so let's go ahead and get into the topic of today, which is taxidermy. So taxidermy literally means the arrangement of skin in Greek. For an example, if a hunter takes a deer and wants the head and antlers mounted... Or the butt. Or the butt. I feel like that's a unique one. I probably don't get that request too often. But whatever part you want. The body and meat of the animal would usually be butchered for use and the body's skin disposed of. Then a taxidermist would carefully remove the skin on the head and place it on a mold along with the antlers. Or the butt. (laughs) Uh, This is a simple explanation for a craft that takes years of time and skill to achieve. It is honestly truly an art form I've actually watched there's um I'll have to look up up who she is but there's this young younger girl in her 20s that is a taxidermist and she has all these cool YouTube videos that sounds cool yeah not human animal we haven't gotten to that part yet right but it's really cool she like goes over everything and like talks about what she's doing and you can see videos and it's kind of crazy everything that goes into it But yeah, that is taxidermy in a quick little snapshot. And we'll, once we figure out who she is, we'll put her name in our show notes so you can also watch her. Yeah, I will. I'm sorry. I I mentioned something and I don't have her name, but I I can find it. I feel like I I do that every episode. I'm like, yeah, there's this cool person on Instagram. Well, because at one time, like, I was like, maybe I would be into taxidermy. I'm kind of like morbid. Like, maybe I would like that as a career. So I was like, just like Googling things and I found her and I watched. I think she even has TikToks. Ooh, that's yeah. more my And then I spin. realized I don't have that kind of skill. I'm too old now. I don't have the time to learn this craft. I don't think that's, like, ballet. You like, an only... apprenticeship, and, like, it's a whole thing. Whole thing. We first start to see taxidermy emerge in the 1500s and the 1600s. It was seen a lot in museums. As humans started to explore zoology more, there was an interest in mounting specimens for the public to see. One of the first large animals to be taxidermied was a rhino, uh, and this happened during the 1500s at the Royal Museum in Florence, Italy, where they used different taxidermy techniques of that time to create a rhinoceros display. These early techniques in taxidermy didn't use molds yet, but instead used the skins as kind of a pillowcase, and then they were stuffed. Um, <laughs> like a stuffed really, animal? Well, like a, li- like a literal stuffed animal, I guess. They were typically stuffed with like harder things, not like 
um, fluff, but maybe like a styrofoam or some kind of wood block. You think they had styrofoam in the 1500s? <laughs> they did say that, and I was a little shocked. I saw that. I was like, oh, okay. I know. So, or something like that at the time, I assume. So, it wasn't looking great. These things were not looking great, <laughs> as you might imagine. They were just... Um, they were just awful. <laughs> and on top of this, many of the taxidermists had never seen these animals before. So you're given an animal that you've never seen before. It's already dead. And dead things do not look like what they look like when they were living. So that's just not a great start <laughs> at all. So they were just kind of doing their best to recreate a lifelike display. And people at the time literally thought these botched cartoon-like animals were really what they look like. Oof. Yeah, and you can look up photos of this if you just kind of Google photos of like early taxidermy, um, things that might be in museums, like you will find some really disturbing. They look cute and dopey, but they don't look like yeah. a real animal. Yeah, so that's what people just assume that these creatures look like. So that's great. During the 18th and 19th century, they started using rods and I guess the styrofoam of more of like today to help give the animals a better structure and look. Today taxidermy looks a lot different and in some cases you can see robotics being a part of the display giving them a lifelike movement to them. Like your giraffe. Yeah and now I'm thinking it wasn't a giraffe because it made a noise so I think it might have been like a lion. That a is a very different animal. They had a giraffe, though. So it was, I think it was Gander Mountain. Hunt, fish, camp. Was that the theme? You texted <laughs> me that earlier, and I was like, I don't know. Is that another store? Yes. Every time that ad came on the radio, my whole family would be like, hunt, fish, camp. Oh, <laughs> I got so lost on that one. I'm, like, pretty certain it was Gander Mountain. And they had all these taxidermied animals, like, you know, from, like, big ones, like, from safaris and stuff. And also things like ducks and geese and all of all the animals you could think of were just like on the walls. And if you ask somebody behind the front desk, they would press something to make this taxidermied something, <laughs> giraffe, bear, lion, like move and make a noise. So, so weird. It's so weird. Let's get into what we've all been waiting for or dreading, human taxidermy. It isn't necessarily impossible, according to what I was reading online, but it would be extremely difficult to taxidermy a person with good results. Since humans don't have thick fur or really any fur, I don't know why I said Some humans fur. have some fur. Right, right. But not enough. Yeah, you're right. Not enough. Yeah or scales or whatever covering their skin. Any seams when the skin is taken off and sewn back together or flaws or bunching like that when you're trying to put it over top of the mold, which is really common in taxidermy, would be very obvious. Because in taxidermy, the fur and the scales covers up all of those flaws. And then when it's a person and they just have the skin, it ends up looking kind of freaky. Like a patchwork quilt kind of yeah that's gross but not <laughs> but, when i think of a patchwork 
quilt, I think of cozy. And this is not cozy. Yeah, not at all. The opposite <laughs> of cozy. Yuck. Human skin is also really fragile. It doesn't stretch easily. I mean, it does when you're alive. But after it dries out and loses all your nat- natural moisture, um, which it does very quickly after you die, it's very easy to rip or tear, which is, like, so gross. When you're thinking about it in this context, in my mind, I'm thinking about someone who's trying to put skin on a mold. Yes, yeah. That doesn't stretch, that just tears and rips. Like, oh. Right, exactly. And what I'm thinking of, and this is maybe just me, this is me kind of extrapolating it. I don't know if it's true. But when you think about other animals with fur, it probably helps keep their moisture in a little bit easier. But when a human being dies... It's just, especially if it's, if they are exposed to the elements or, you know, left out for a while, I'm sure they lose your moisture very quickly. A little off topic, but I do think that a lot of funeral directors, when prepping someone for viewing, will use moisturizer. I mean, I think that that makes a lot of sense. At least in the bits that are out, like maybe like your hands or your face and neck or something like that. So that makes me feel like I'm right. <laughs> they use so much moisturizer. If you moisturize in life, you'll moisturize in death. That would be a great slogan for some kind of like night cream. Or like some kind of special <laughs> moisturizer, like post-mortem moisturizer. Yes. You should go to the post-mortem moisturizer business. Yeah, somebody call us like and start a business. Our first case of human taxidermy is the sad result of racism and colonization in Africa. In 1831, French natural specimen collectors, Jules Pierre and Jean-Baptiste Edouard Verobe, traveled to the present-day Botswana, South Africa area to find specimens for their father's taxidermy business. I guess this guy would collect specimens basically for like natural history museum type things and distribute them throughout Europe. Okay, and it makes sense if you're in Africa because you're probably looking for some unique animals that are not native to uh, the European area. That makes sense. Right. But they really went off the rails here. (sighs) This is bad, people. So just really buckle up. The rails weren't there to begin with. Yeah, there were no rails. They witnessed the burial of a Swanian warrior and thought it would be a good idea to sneak back to the grave at night to dig up this man's body. So this is the part. I mean, this is all horribly disturbing. To me, this is the most shocking bit, Mm -hmm. is the fact that they were hovering around waiting for this funeral, for this warrior to be over so that they could sneak in and snatch the body. Yes. What? I know. I feel like I shouldn't be shocked by any of this because of the history of, like, colonialism 
and the way that, you know, black people were treated at this time. But that really just knocked me the fuck over. Yeah, I am just floored. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, and I had kind of assumed that they were like gonna just find the body, like someone had a heart attack or mm -hmm. just start randomly grave robbing, which is still terrible. But the fact that they targeted this man's body, they chose Fresh. a victim. Yes. Fresh out the ground. Yeah. They were like, oh, this one seems like a good one. There, there he is. He, he'll be a good one. Let's, let's stake out. What the actual fuck? Oh, yeah. Like, I just. It doesn't get any better from here. No, it so really doesn't. So this is just gonna set you up for some real. Yeah. They took some of the man's bones and the majority of his skin, with the intention of taxidermying, taxidermying the body. So they weren't able to carry all the bones back because I'm sure they were in a hurry because they didn't want someone to see that they were digging up their loved one. Were they in a hurry or did they think this was okay? I'm sure that they thought it was okay because they probably yeah. dehumanized this man and obviously this is just fine to them. But I feel like I would be nervous because I'm like, if I saw someone digging up my loved one the day of their funeral, I would lose my mind. So... They should have been afraid. <laughs> they used wire and wood boards to fill in the, the space of the bones that they weren't able to carry. And then they stuffed the skin with newspaper. Then the taxidermy... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. You can take this out if you want. But my brain is just registering something. So they didn't take him whole out of the grave. They carried bones. Mm-hmm. Did they dismember this man? They definitely dismembered this man. At the gravesite. It seems like it was at the grave. The way it was described in the articles that I was reading is it was at the gravesite. Because if you're going to take his whole body, you would just take the whole thing. So I think that they were limited by how much they were able to carry. So they just took pieces, parts. And that... I feel, right. I feel like physically ill right now thinking about this. I don't know why I've done the research I read up on this, but it's just hitting me now that we're talking about it, that he must have been dismembered at the gravesite somehow. Yeah, they just, they, you know what, you're right. They really took their damn time with this. Oh my gosh. That's sick. That, like, I feel bile in my throat. And you know what? A part of me hopes that his family did not know that this happened. Like, I hope that they just covered it up. They never had to know because that would just, just, it would just tear you apart after you just lost your, your family member and your friend. And then to find out that someone had dismembered him, I hope they never found out. I just have like no words. <laughs> that, that whole realization there was just a bit much. Yeah, you're right. It's a very vile visual. Ooh, a very vile visual. <laughs> but yeah, just picturing that. Let me like, go. Ooh. Yeah. Mm. Inhumane. Like, just sick. I mean, you wouldn't even do that to, like, an animal. 
Yeah, you're this right. This is a human being, but you wouldn't even do that to an animal. Yeah. I don't think. No, I would hope not. All right, well, I guess we can move on to the next step in <laughs> now this story. Now that we've, story. like, halfway processed next it. Next chapter. Uh, the taxidermied human body was shipped to Paris along with some animals that had also been taxidermied. They're basically treating this guy like an animal, like a human science experiment. It's disgusting. It's just so bad. The body ended up in a museum in Paris and was put on display. The body was dressed in a loincloth and displayed in a showroom and was well received by people who saw it. They acted like the Vareau brothers were some kind of fearless adventurers rather than actual grave robbers. This taxidermied Swanian man was viewed no differently than the exotic animal bodies that were often displayed at the time. It, it was literally dehumanizing him. But that was just the overarching attitude at the time, which is... It was the overarching attitude at this time, but this time turns into another time, which turns yes. into another time, which turns into another time, as you'll see. Yes, yeah, that's the thing. And they, yeah, it just kind of goes to show you that these attitudes don't quite go away. Towards the end of the 19th century, the body was moved to a museum in Bignolis, Catalonia, in Spain. His origin was confused and eventually forgotten. They went through a couple different things. They said he was from, like, Tasmania or something. I honestly don't... Or Kilimanjaro. I honestly don't even remember. But they just gave him a bunch of different origins because they forgot. Which is just... Makes it even worse. That they don't even know where he's from and they don't even really care to verify. It's just... I know that last little bit of his history is gone. Yeah. The museum curators actually put shoe polish on his body to make his skin look darker. And this was in, or at the end of the 19th century. Yeah, we're starting, this, this is like late 1800s. It's, it's. Mm-hmm. We're right, just, it's okay, that makes sense. Right, yeah, oh, totally fine, like, um, MBD. Yeah. And this continued, the shoe polish did continue. It didn't stop in the 20th century. It, they continued to use it. People eventually, eventually, took a little, way too long, started to catch on to the idea that maybe having a taxidermied black man in a museum was not a cool thing to do. Not cool. Mm, no, not cool. <laughs> not cool. Cool being the, no. the mildest word for that. The body gained more attention around the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. A Haitian doctor who lived in Catalonia, Alphonse Arcelin, wrote a letter to the mayor of Bagnoles requesting that the man's remains no longer be displayed. Reasonable. It's 1992. 1992. Okay, we can move on. Yep, yep. High-profile people like the Assistant Secretary General of the UN, Pastor Jesse Jackson, and even Magic Johnson spoke out against the absolute lack of dignity for this man's body. This letter that Dr. Arcelin wrote started to gain a lot of traction around the world. And with the Olympics coming up, people are more interested into that topic right now. But the Catalan people said the body was a, quote, national treasure. 
so they had to continue to display it. He was on display for another five years before he was put into storage, just like an old museum artifact. Finally, in 2000, the body was shipped home. The skin, well, and not, not in total. The skin was in such bad shape after the taxidermy process, years of display, and layers of shoe polish that they were only able to ship the bones back to Botswana. And this is not all of the bones either. This is just what the Vero brothers have brought over. A ceremonial reburial was held, complete with a priest, uh, Botswanan soldiers as pallbearers, buglers, and dancing. Around 10,000 people attended the funeral, including Foreign Minister Mampati Mur- Mampati Muraf. I practiced this, and so now I can't say it. The first part sounds great. Foreign Minister Mampati Marafe, who stated, We are prepared to forgive, but we must not forget the crimes of the past so we don't repeat them. Sorry, I just really love that quote. I was like, that's so spot on. His grave is marked with a large sign explaining his journey. And it's kind of sad, too, because his grave marker kind of went into disrepair in the years following his reburial. Which is just like, are you kidding me? Like, give this man, give this man's body some respect. But now it's like a really nice grave marker that gives Finally. a decent amount of information. Right, right. But, yeah. So that was really depressing. It was super depressing. But it's a good example of why, well, it's a good example of a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. Um... But it's a great example of why taxidermying, taxidermying humans is a no-go. Right. Humans. Most especially when they're stolen. Yeah. Grave robbed. Humans are not display. Like they're not. (laughs) We're not display. We're not display. (laughs) Display! 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 Please don't display my body in a museum when I die. Unless it's in my will. Unless it's in my will. Which we will get to. Unless it's it's what I want. Right. And this man did not put this in his will. I will tell you what. He did not consent to this. I would not, I would not consent to having shoe polish put in my body. Non-consensual death disruption. Ooh, that's good. See, I... NCDD. NCDD. (laughs) You know, it is so important, I think, to follow people's wishes after death and to just treat bodies with human dignity after they die. For the love. Of Christ Almighty. Love of our Lord. of what we put in our wills, let's move on to our next story about human taxidermy. So this example of human taxidermy is a philosopher, Jeremy Bentham. He's apparently pretty famous. I hate philosophy, so I wouldn't know, but he is the one who created the idea of utilitarianism, which is the we should create 
the greatest amount of good for the greatest amount of people. I think I read a book about that once. In high school? Look, I read a sentence about it. Oh, maybe it was just a sentence. No, we went to the same high school. We went that we read that philosophy for dummies in Mr. Murphy's class. Oh, was there a sentence about it in there? I'm pretty sure we talked about it in there. It was probably a little paragraph, really. Well, you know, I did take a philosophy class in college. It was the easiest class I've ever taken in my life. Uh, and maybe that's where I think I read on this. But yes, good old philosopher Jeremy Bentham. He specifically requested in his will that his organs be donated to science and his body be preserved in the style of the Maori people and brought out at parties. I love that he put this in his will. This guy's a party, I feel like. Yeah, this guy feels like if he was a cake, he'd be a confetti cake. Yes. And the greatest amount of good for the greatest amount of people is for him to come out at a party, his Whoa! corpse to just be wheeled out. Uh, that's his opinion, but okay. <laughs> a quote from his will reads, If it should so happen that my personal friends and other disciples should be disposed to meet together on some day or days of the year, for the purpose of commemorating the founder of the greatest happiness system of morals and legislation, my executor will from time to time cause to be conveyed to the room in which they meet. The said box or case with the contents therein to be stationed in such a part of the room as to the assembled company shall seem meet. He's not missing the party. He is not. I also love, like, <laughs> the confidence and the arrogance in this. His disciples. The founder <laughs> like of the disciple. greatest happiness system. I'm pretty sure this is, like, a tongue-in-cheek thing. Like, it's a joke. I think he's being facetious, but... They tried to take this one seriously, though. Yeah. I think he wanted to be at the party, but I, I don't know if he really thought that he had had disciples. I don't know. Yeah, I think it was kind of a joke, but also I think he wanted to see how far he could take it. Yeah, ex yes, exactly, exactly. Will they actually do this for me? I guess he wouldn't find out, but others will. Yeah, we will. It's not totally clear why Bentham wanted his body to be preserved in this way. At this time, many people believed it was necessary for a person's body to be buried whole so they could get into heaven. Bentham... Well, he was an atheist, and in many ways rebelled against the status quo, so he probably preferred not to give any money to the church for his burial and be preserved instead. Although his body was preserved, he didn't quite get his second request of being brought out for parties. Not exactly, anyway. His auto icon is displayed at the University College London's Student Center in a secure case. Bentham's friend, Dr. Southwood Smith, lovely name, rolls off the tongue, Southwood Smith, <laughs> Dr. Southwood Smith, now it's a tongue twister, I'm going to move on, <laughs> took on the monumental task of human taxidermy at Bentham's death. I can't even talk after his name. <laughs> Southwood Smith, Bentham's death, <laughs> at Bentham's death in 1932. He wasn't sure how to use the Maori taxidermy process for Bentham's head, 
like he had requested, but he sure did try. Oh boy. Unfortunately, the result was discolored and leathery, which is not not how you want <laughs> your best friend to look if others are going to see them. In the end, it looked like a second grader's drawing of a human head. Kind of looks like a bog body. It has that same coloring. To me, if I did not know, I would assume it was a bog body. Yeah. And those who haven't listened yet, listen to episode two ever. We talked about the bog bodies buried in Ireland. And that area is cool. But basically, they were... (laughs) In that area? In that area? It's cool. (laughs) Basically, they were buried in peat bogs. They just, like, had died in the peat bogs. And they have these tannins inside it basically tans their skin and turns it this like reddish color so that's basically what this dude looked like like. jerky like jerky like jerky yeah 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 that's a good description dr smith didn't want his friend's face displayed like that naturally what a good friend (laughs) so he hired someone to make a wax replica of the head we see these wax replicas a lot, actually. Some of the popes have been waxed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Funny enough, this guy's an atheist, but it's pretty common in uh, Catholicism. Yeah. To wax saints or, or popes. Or people who they think are going to become saints. Right. So they made a wax replica of his head. He arranged the bones in a sitting position. And dressed them in a suit. And stuffed the rest of his face with hay. The auto icon is displayed in a special cabinet with glass panels for viewing. At first, the real head was placed between the body's feet, which was out of view because of the cabinet's wall. Thank goodness. Naturally, being on a college campus, though, the real head was stolen. The real head. The one that looks pretty fudged up was stolen multiple times. Once it was taken by rival students and held for a 100-pound ransom. Which is, like, not that much, considering they stole a head, an invaluable piece of history. Another time it was allegedly used for football practice. Sadly, this is not the first time we've talked about this. No, it's not. This is not the first football head debate, debacle. It happened at St. Mike and Scripps in Dublin. Another episode that we talk about. We had a, we have a remastered episode this season of our very first episode. I'm, I'm like really plugging our old episodes. I was today. thinking the same thing. That's good but though. This is not the first time there was a group of wild teens that came, stole a head from the crypts, and started kicking it around. College students aren't that far removed from wild teens. No, they're not. So. The head, the original head, his head, is now stored in a secure location. Top secret. You know, college students are so dumb. Again, this is a human head. This is somebody's head. And this it's so disrespectful to just be like, I'm going to take this head, kick it around. This is all great fun. What? He did want to be the center of parties, though. That's true. Maybe he would have liked it. Maybe he would have got a kick out of it. 
A kick. <laughs> I did not even try to do that. I'm so funny. That was great. So now that we talked about these hairy scenarios of human taxidermy, what do you think about the ethics of all this? Because we have one case where someone's body was stolen. Bad. Very bad. (laughs) Very bad. Put on display and dehumanized. He did not consent to this. His family did not consent to this. It's just so bad. We have another situation where somebody did specifically request that their body be essentially taxidermied. And he had a lot of specific requests about it. However, it did get a little messy. People did steal his head. And that could be kind of a situation where his body was not shown with the amount of respect that we typically reserve for human remains. And with Benson. Benson? Bentham. Bentham. Mr. B. I think with his, this was his wish. And I do think that you have put yourself in a situation mm-hmm. to not know the future of your body. True. I do think that in some way he probably had to know that if this was actually carried out, there would be risks. Yeah. And he did want to be part of the party. That was like, I think part of the reason of him wanting to do this is because he thinks it would be like... A joke, I think. Yeah. 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 And also he probably didn't want to pay the church, which is also maybe another thing. Right. I feel like in this case, he did get what he wanted. I almost said he got what he deserved. (laughs) Um... He got to stick it to the man, yeah. you know, when it comes to organized religion. He didn't have to pay him. I don't know. I Did the joke go too far? Maybe um, a little. Maybe a little bit. But I am a huge proponent of people's after-death wishes being followed. As long as they're not hurting anybody else, you know what? Yeah, let's see why not. Have what you want. I do think it's a little sick that his friend had to be the one to do this for him. Oh, my God. That's such that's a good point. That's kind of sick. Like, if you were like, Morgan, when I die, I'd like to be taxidermied. Can you make that happen? I wouldn't think you would be pointing at me, like, personally to do it. You know? Right. And and this man has never taxidermied a human body before. So it's not like one of those things where you do it so many times that you get used to it. Yeah. It would be his first time doing something like that. I feel like that should have been outsourced. Definitely should have been outsourced. I also love how he's like, I don't know anything about the Maori style of taxidermy, but I'm going to just do my best. I mean, I don't know. Like, he was dealt a pretty hefty task there. He was. Which feels a little unfair. It does. It's just the fact that back then they were like, all right, it's in his will. Chill. That's not... That's not abuse of a corpse because he wanted it. <laughs> this would never happen today. No. Never. 
if anyone's wondering, according to what I've read, there's no country in the world where it's legal to tax derby a human being. Technically, it's not illegal to do in London, I don't think. I was watching a video about it. Hmm. That doesn't mean that anyone will actually do it, though. Yeah. Like, you, it's not technically illegal because displaying of a body is not illegal. At least at the time that I watched that guy explaining this. <laughs> um, might be now, I don't know. But nobody would do that for many reasons. They might lose their license or whatever have you. Right. So. Yeah, I think there's a lot of other legal issues with it. Yeah. But I think we talked a lot about the Swanian man and his, the ethics of that. But it really just goes to drive home the point. Treat human remains like human remains. Like, I have nothing profound to say about this. (laughs) I think that the story itself is profound. Yes, exactly. In itself. And it just, it speaks volumes how long that his body was on display and how strongly the community defended their display of his body, even though people around the world, black people around the world, especially saying this is harmful to me, this is harmful to (laughs) society as a whole. They're saying, don't do this. But they were just like, in the year of our Lord, 1992. No, he's ours. We're keeping him. He's a national treasure. <laughs> yes, like, what the fuck? The f- I just there's, I don't know. I, I just feel like I there's nothing else I can really say about that. Yeah. Yeah, that really speaks for itself. But anyway. Food, food for thought. Yeah, you know, take this with you. Maybe not to the dinner table. Not, no. Just a figure of speech. Just think about it. Chew it over, but not literally. Because then we might have to do an episode on cannibalism. Which I don't know if I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> you already put it out into the universe now, so. Well, thanks for joining us on our episode about human taxidermy. If you made it through the whole thing. Good on you. Please don't... Sleep well, my children. Please don't rob anyone's graves. Please don't try and taxidermy any human beings. Just don't even dream of it. And if you know anybody who's trying to taxidermy a human being, call for help. (laughs) Call 911. Please. Call your, your friendliest mortician. Call us. We'll come and talk them down. We'll be like, listen to the, uh, this episode I would be of Plot Twist. I'm not coming to talk them down. Right? Braver than me. Braver than me. Oh, oh, you're taxidermying somebody in there? I'm going to close the door and walk away. <laughs> <laughs> That's Morgan's response to everything. I'm going to close the door and walk I'm away. I'm going to go. I'm going to pretend that that never happened. Maybe it wasn't a giraffe, because what kind of noise do giraffes make? Uh. (laughs) it made a noise so it might have been a different animal but thanks for listening if you like what you heard please rate and subscribe 
follow us on Instagram at official underscore plot twist pod. Music is courtesy of Matthew Modena and our resources are in the show notes.